Korean popular culture through books. I'm the host of this podcast, Mina, and I can't wait to talk about books with you. This episode is the season one finale of the K-pop bookshelf podcast. Before we get to this episode, I wanted to wrap up this season with some final thoughts and comments. First of all, I don't think that I mentioned this at any point, but the theme of this season was women. We read the book Shine by former Girls' Generation member Jessica Jung, and we found out some of the secrets of idol trainees. We also read an academic book called Factory Girls about how K-pop girl groups promote neoliberalism. We read Shoko Smile, a collection of short stories where all of the protagonists were women. And we are still discussing the book that touched a nerve for so many, Kim Ji Young, born 1982. I plan to have themes for all of my future seasons, and I plan to let you know prior to each season what the theme will be and which books we'll be reading. I'll also have them listed on my blog so you can read along with us. And if you haven't noticed, episodes for this podcast come out every other Tuesday. If there's a need to change the schedule, I'll post about it on Instagram, so be sure to follow me on there so you can keep up on all the episodes. This episode is coming out a little early on my schedule. Also, I wanted to discuss where and how you can get some of the books I cover for this podcast. I've already acquired many books for the purposes of this podcast, and I'm planning some really fun seasons, as well as some serious scholarly historical seasons of this pod, which will be fun too, of course. Some of the books I want to talk about on my podcast are now out of print. So in these instances, I look for them at the library. If you ever want to check out a book but can't find it, you can ask your local library about interlibrary loan. This is a system where a library in another area will loan the book to your library, and then your library can check it out to you. Also, for those of you who have access to a university library, you may find some of the books, especially those written by professors, available there. I also check used bookstore sites for books, especially out-of-print books, and I buy many of my books from independent bookstores, which often sell used books. When you buy used books, you are participating in recycling, so it's environmentally friendly, and usually you can find the book at a cheaper price. Another thing I want to mention is that this podcast is going on a break for about a month or so. Season one has been such a fun but also challenging time for me. I was learning about podcasting along the way and also reading, researching, and writing the notes for each episode. Although you won't be able to hear new episodes during this break, I will still be working on this podcast. I need time to read the books I talk about after all. I plan to be back sometime in mid or late January, but I will let you know a little bit closer to the date so you can anticipate new episodes. I'll make sure to post about it on Instagram or Twitter, so please look forward to my comeback. And now to get back to this episode, this episode is our final installation about Kim Ji-yong, born 1982. I had a movie night the other day with my friend Rebecca. Rebecca is not particularly interested in K-pop or K-dramas, but she is an avid reader and a traveler. And I gave her the book Kim Ji-yong, born 1982 last year because I thought she would find it interesting. The day we recorded this, Rebecca came over and we watched the movie Kim Ji-yong, born 1982. I had purchased the Malaysian version of the DVD about a year ago from a resale website because the Malaysian version has English subtitles. 
By the time we got through the movie and started recording, we were a little bit loopy. So if we sound like we're kind of hyper, that's why. Uh, we talk about the book and the movie and also spoiler alert, we randomly started talking about Squid Game. <laughs> so there may be some Squid Game spoilers slightly if you haven't watched that yet. Also, we had some slight audio issues with this episode. So just an apology for that in advance. Let's listen. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good, Mina. How are you? Doing well. We just watched Kim Ji Young, Born 1982, the movie starring Gong Yu. How did you like it? I liked it a lot. I, I think it's one of these stories that you enjoy, but it's also difficult at the same time. For sure. And you also read the book, as did I. And how did you like it in comparison to the book? I thought there were a lot of similarities, but the movie had kind of a more linear tale, which I guess makes sense from a movie standpoint. Yeah, because when I first read the book, I felt like this book doesn't really have a plot. But then later when I read it the second time, I was like, oh, no, there is a plot. I just missed it because it was like, did you notice all the footnotes? Yes. And when I read the book, I felt that actually took me out of the story a little bit. I can see in hindsight why the statistics and the footnotes are there. I think it's helpful for someone who who doesn't have a knowledge of Korea in the time frame of the book, but it did take me a little bit out of the story when I was reading it. Yeah, and the statistics part was so dry and like factual, and I was trying to follow like the characters and the family story and the plot. And so the movie was kind of more beneficial because you got a plot. Okay, let's summarize the book slash movie. So Kim Ji Young, born 1982, it's sort of like this Korean every woman, a millennial or exennial, we may call them. This woman and she's in her 30s now. She was born in 1982 and she's struggling through a difficult period in her life with depression, postpartum depression. She quit her job once she had her child. And Gong Yu, who K-drama fans know from Squid Game most recently, but also many other dramas and also The Train to Busan, he plays her husband and he was like a really sympathetic character. What did you think about the character of her husband, Daehyun? I think the actor did a really great job portraying him as a sympathetic character. You could tell that he was really anguished over what was happening with his wife. The book, I feel, was almost less sympathetic. I was less sympathetic to him in the book, I think. Watching it visually on the screen helped to make him a more sympathetic character because you could really see his emotion, see his anguish. For sure, because like he says things a lot in the book. It's not like he's like not present. But then in the movie, you have his more quiet acting and his facial expressions, like you said. And let's mention some of the other characters. So we have the character of uh, Daehyun's mom, who's Ji Young's mother-in-law. And she is super, in my opinion, traditional. What did you think? Yes, I agree. Her perspective of putting her son first. Yeah, she's not super sympathetic when Ji Young's going through her mental health crisis. She's more upset over how that's going to affect her son and the granddaughter than Ji Young herself. She's very protective. And this comes up a lot in the book and the movie, this protecting of men especially from the moms, and that women are the ones who need to sacrifice so that men can have the most comfortable, most successful lives possible. To that end, we can talk now about Ji Young's mom had to sacrifice quite a lot in her childhood because she didn't get to go to school and had to go work in a sweatshop to help with supporting her brothers so that they could go to school and achieve higher education. But kind of paradoxically, Ji Young's mom was sort of the breadwinner in a, in a lot of ways for her own family. So Ji Young's dad was a civil servant, but during the 1997 IMF crisis gets laid off. And then as a result, it's Ji Young's mom who has to become enterprising and find ways to keep the family afloat. Do you know anything about Korean work culture? There's 
there's a very intense work ethic. You're expected to work long hours and social activities tied to work into the nights. It seems like it's a pretty intense work culture for men and women. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's uh, a lot of comments both in the book and the movie that characters make about, oh, she's going to get pregnant or she is pregnant or she's on maternity leave or there's also a whole debate about paternity leave. It's, it seems like in the movie, especially where they have this allocation, you can take a leave for a new baby and it's open to both men and women, but the men really are like, oh, there's no way I'm taking that. And if women take it, it's seen as like, you know, you're going to stagnate at your job. You were seen as kind of taking advantage of the system and other co-workers were going to have to pick up your slack and it was a very negative perception and then when someone has to sacrifice it seems to be generally the women I think that speaks a lot to the experience of millennials in America at least there's been a lot of articles the past few years about prior generations would usually be better off than their parents right they would like have better jobs better homes better salaries but the millennial generation supposedly at least in the United States was the first generation to not have that just the cost of homes, the cost of everything going up when the pace of wages not keeping up. So we were sold to this concept of like, well, men will be more helpful. Men will be, it'll be more equal. And it looks like, or sounds like that in Korea, they had this thing too. But when it comes down to it, on a day-to-day basis, it's women who still have to the kids and clean up the house. Yes, actually, it reminds me of a conversation in the book that Ji Young is having with her husband where they're discussing whether to have children. And they have what seems to be a very frank and honest conversation about the sacrifices that may be required. And her husband, Dae-yun, says, I'll help you. You know, I'll help you with the chores. I'll help you with the child. And Ji-young says, well, what will you be sacrificing if it comes down to it? And I have to sacrifice my career. What does that mean for you? I think it's a very much a conversation that my peers have, that we, people are having in the United States as well as in other countries. In the movie, Dae-hyun offers to go on paternity leave in order to allow Ji-young to go back to work. That I maybe contributes to me thinking of him as more of a sympathetic character in the movie. We don't have that aspect of him in the book. You can really see that he's trying to be more fair in his relationship, but other family members, when they find out about that, are horrified, really, that he would stagnate his career to give his wife that opportunity to go back to work. So I do like that he was offering some solutions to how this situation could be more tenable for his wife, whereas in the book, we didn't necessarily see as much of that. I think that's one aspect of some of the articles I've read about millennials and millennial males who are socialized to think we're going to be equal, you're equal to women and women are not inferior to you. So then they think, yeah, I'm going to be the type of person who will at least pay lip service to doing things like doing their share of housework. I want to talk a little bit about the mental health crisis Jiang experiences. I thought it was interesting because this book created such a furor over men who are anti-feminist in Korea who thought this was like a huge affront to men in general. But Jiang never actually says anything out loud about like being mad at men or mad at anyone. She just, these are like her inner monologue feelings. Yeah, she is extremely calm during this entire ordeal, at least what we see of her. She never personally from her own voice expresses anger or resentment at all and so I my perception is that she in kind of inhabiting other personalities or having dissociative identity whatever the diagnosis may be that this is a way that she can kind of tell the truth that she doesn't feel comfortable saying in her own voice in her own reality Still, even in her alter ego, even her altered state, even in her mental illness, she's not like, you're doing this to me or I feel X, Y, Z way. Yeah. And I also think that she speaks really respectfully. 
In the movie, there's a lot more exploration of how to deal with this. Daehyun's going to other family members and he's sharing details with them of here's what Ji Young is going through. And in the book, we don't see that journey, but it was very sad to watch him tell her that she had been having these episodes and she immediately was very rational about it. Like, okay, what do I do? How do we fix this? I can get treatment for this. So she seems her character from start to finish is really grounded in, in the midst of having to make a lot of sacrifice. She's also very pragmatic and she's sort of realistic in a way that I'm not sure that everyone going through a mental health crisis would necessarily be. She was going to take on a whole new job, but then she takes a step back. She's like, no, actually, I'm not well enough to take a job. I need to like handle my mental health first. Well, and I don't sure how much the general Korean public see mental health in that way, like prioritize mental health. I mean, even in America, we don't really, we now have started to open these conversations about prioritizing mental health, but it's not something we historically have really paid a lot of attention to. So Rebecca, have you watched Squid Game? I have watched Squid Game. I finished it a couple weeks ago. So were you aware that there's currently a huge labor strike happening or it's been happening lately in Seoul? I am ashamed I did not know about that before I watched Squid Game. That was news to me. Yeah, and actually after Squid Game aired, they decided to make it like a Squid Game themed protest and Squid Game themed rallies. And some of the demands they had were to be allowed to form unions, which if you recall, the characters, not to turn this to a Squid Game podcast, but the, the characters wanted to be able to form unions or at least have rights, the types of rights that unions sometimes are able to protect. But I just wanted to touch on that briefly because this book is now a little bit older. It came out a couple of years ago. And so some of the stuff that they talk about still exists. And also in the book, everyone seems to have like a white collar job. And this is about trade unions or laborers. And I wanted to just kind of give them a shout out, especially because they're having the spotlight on them, thanks to Squid Game. And I just want to thank you so much, Rebecca, for helping research this episode and participating in this conversation with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun to be able to talk to somebody else who's read this and watched this. And I think there's a lot of parallels in this book to what is still happening, not only in Korea, but in the United States and elsewhere. It's a really valuable read, definitely. Thanks again to Rebecca for coming on to chat with me. We both recommend this book if you find this topic interesting and the movie as well. As a reminder, you can reach me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. You can also email me at kpopbookshelfpod, pod as in podcast, at gmail.com. Special thanks to V, who conducted research on mental health for the Kim Ji Young episodes. Special thanks to Rebecca for her research and presence as well. Special thanks to AO for designing the blog. And super special thanks to all of you, my listeners. Thank you for supporting me so far and your kind words and comments. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend about this podcast. Okay, talk to you next year. Bye.